Grace, peace, and mercy are yours in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, our scripture reading today is from 1 John chapter 1, not John 1, not the gospel, the letter. So go to 1 John, uh, and while you are finding it, I shall pray for it. Lord, help us to hear you, help us to see you, help us to speak truthfully of you, help us to touch you this morning as we read your word. Open up our lives to you. Open up our lives to ourselves. Help us see how you would change us. And may your scriptures speak to our hearts and our minds today that we would be changed by you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testified to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard that you may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm very glad to be with you all this morning. And I'm most of all glad to be with you this morning for two reasons. One, I almost didn't make it. Um, Yesterday, uh, early in the morning, uh, I started to have a kidney stone, what turned out to be a kidney stone attack. At first, we thought it might be appendicitis. And I'd had kidney stones before, about 14 years ago. And if you have had those yourself or seen someone go through it, you know what that looks like. I shall spare you the details this morning, but I wound up in the ER that morning. Uh, As I was in the ER and going through all this, uh, Jessica was on her way to Birmingham to a conference. um, And uh, as she was going, I, I called her when all of this started to go down. She turned around and started heading back. And uh, as she started to head back, uh, our car broke down. And so she got stuck about 11 miles out of Hamilton. Uh, Cully helped rescue her, at least get her to a good place. And her dad came and picked her up. Uh, But eventually she got home and I was able to go home from the ER with uh, more or less being recovered. Still have some final steps to go, uh, but we made it. So I'm very glad that I get to be with y'all this morning and not have an appendicitis or, you know, surgery on my appendix. Uh, I'm also very glad to be with you because it is Easter. That's right, it's Easter. 
Now, my, I'm not on drugs. I'm not on painkillers right now. I have not had my internal clock reset by my ER visit. It is still Easter. I have not uh, become Eastern Orthodox. Eastern Orthodox operate on a slightly different liturgical calendar than we do. For them, this is Easter Sunday. I have not become Eastern Orthodox. Indeed, it is still Easter. Easter is a whole season. Like Christmas, which lasts 12 days as a season, Easter is a season. Easter goes all the way from East, the, the resurrection of the Lord, what we call Easter Sunday, uh, and then today is the second Sunday in Easter, and we'll go all the way to Pentecost at the end of May. That's Easter. Our culture kind of forgets this. Uh, you know how we will... Advent is supposed to be a time of fasting, but instead we celebrate Christmas all through that time. Then Christmas Day hits, and when we're supposed to start celebrating Christmas, we go into our post-Christmas lull. We sort of do the opposite with Easter. Sometimes we get lit. We fast, and we prepare, and we wait, and then Easter happens, and we celebrate for a day, and okay, enough of that. We should celebrate for the full 50 days, for the full season of resurrection where we remember that Christ is raised from the dead. So we're going to do that. We're going to do Easter right here in Tremont. I'm not going to shut up about the resurrection until the end of May. <laughs> All right. The whole season, uh, our goal here is to help us understand what it means to live in response to the reality uh, that Jesus is raised from the dead. We're doing that in one way with the Surprised by Hope study. Uh, so if you can make it there out at uh, Mount Pleasant or uh, Mount Olive uh, on one of those, uh, Tuesday night or Wednesday night, we'll be talking about it there. If you can't make it, that's all right. I'm going to be putting the videos up online so you can, if you're on, online, you can look at it there. Or um, uh, you can read the book, and I know a couple of you have, have uh, signed on to do that. So uh, you can participate in that way. That book is all about what it means for us to live in response to Jesus' resurrection as a people of hope. And look forward to the final resurrection that we mentioned in the creed this morning. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. That when Jesus raises the dead, he'll come again to make a new heavens and new earth. And how do we live anticipating that reality? That's what our whole study is about. That's also what we're going to talk about on Sunday mornings in our First John study. Because First John is all about how we live as an Easter people. Remember last Sunday I said that the question for us isn't solely, did Jesus rise from the dead? Yes, he did. But the question for us is, how do we live in response to the fact that Jesus, uh, that the tomb is empty, that Jesus has been raised? So for this Easter season, studying 1 John, that's what we're going to talk about, how to live as a people of hope like that. There's another reason I'm preaching 1 John. It methodizes us. Uh, John Wesley loved 1 John. He said, in fact, that if the preacher would imitate any part of the oracles of God above all the rest, let it be the first epistle of St. John. That's what we're studying. So far be it for me to deny Mr. Wesley uh, his favorite passage or his favorite book of the Bible. So we're preaching from 1 John. So let's dive in. Let's go back. We'll take another look at, uh, at the first part of this chapter, starting with verse 1 down to verse 4. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We declare to you what was from the beginning. Does that uh, tickle anybody's ears or does that, uh, does, that, does that sound familiar at all? Maybe it should. Uh, John here is hearkening back to the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning when God began to create. Okay? He's talking about the, the very origins of things when he talks about in the beginning. And in fact, he's calling back not just to Genesis, but to what uh, John wrote in not the first letter of John, but the Gospel of John. We've mentioned this several times over the last few weeks, but uh, John, the Gospel of John begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made, not was anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word is in the beginning. John is talking about something very specific here. This is not an abstract uh, thing that he's talking about. John's not talking about goodness or morality, or virtue, or self-esteem, or even love. He's talking about Jesus. John is calling our attention to the fact that it was Jesus who created all things in the beginning. And the same, uh, and that's what we affirm when we said, y'all said the Nicene Creed earlier. We said that there. That's what John 1, the, the gospel of John 1, is talking about. The Word became flesh. The Word of God Jesus Christ, eternal second person of the Trinity, created the world and then was born into the world that he made because he loves it and he's come to save it. So these same ideas are floating around here in this first part of the letter uh, that John is now writing. The life has come, light has come through the word of God. He's talking about Jesus. And notice what he says that we have experienced have had first-hand experience as human beings uh, with Jesus, or at least some people did. Uh, the, the apostles who saw him in his earthly life and then saw him in the resurrection had a hands-on, face-to-face, normal human relationship and all the physicality that comes with that with Jesus. They were his friends. They ate with him. Uh, they shook hands with him. They, uh, you know, exchanged. In uh, that day, a kisses would be exchanged. They knew him. They saw him. They heard him. They touched him. Uh, John doesn't say they smelled him, but that's true too. God Himself was physically there with that group of people, and then they passed on what they had experienced with their own human senses to other human beings, and incorporated them in that fellowship that they had with Christ. That someone told someone who told someone. When I was in college, I met a guy who was a Kappa Alpha's fraternity uh, at Millsaps, and he told me, he shook my hand and said, now you're six handshakes from Robert E. Lee, which is kind of a cool historical thing. You know, only six people had separated me coming in contact with someone who uh, who lived uh, and did most of his work that we know him for, uh, you know, 150 years ago. Kind of cool. And I, in fact, I'd been to Robert E. Lee's house at Arlington, uh, outside Washington, D.C., and I'd seen where this person lived. That seems like a distant historical figure, but is really very close. 
And if you've ever been to a historical site like that, uh, sometimes it's kind of haunting because you realize we're really not that distant from this place. Uh, someone famous slept here, lived here, ate a meal here, died here, and now I, here I am standing on the same ground. Uh, sometimes that hits close to home. You might not know this, but President John Tyler, who uh, started his presidency in 1841, has two living grandsons. Grandsons, not great-grandsons, not great-great-grandsons, not great-great-great-grandsons, grandsons. Uh, he had children when he was in his 70s, and uh, then one of his sons had children when he was in his 70s. And so we have living relatives of one of our earlier presidents who are still around. History is short. That physical connection is still there. And the same thing is true for the Christian community. Because those who lived and ate and talked with Jesus then lived and ate and talked with other Christians. They shared communion together. They prayed together. Uh, they lived in close proximity to one another. And then they shared life with others and shared life with others on down to us. If you, tra- if you think about who told you about Jesus, and you think about who told them about Jesus, if you trace it far enough back, you get to Jesus himself. We're more than six handshakes removed, uh, but we have physically touched people who have physically touched people going all the way back who were there with Jesus, with God incarnate. That's kind of amazing if you think about it. This isn't just some idea in our heads. This isn't just sort of adopting uh, you know, something spiritually. Uh, this is talk- Jesus has created a real physical community of people that he's called to be his because he came to a world that he made himself with the purposes of redeeming it. And he called out a group of people to live into that reality, to live as people who had been transformed in the way they lived their life because God himself showed up and people had an experience with him and they passed on that experience. That's what John is talking about right here. The way that fellowship, that's the word John uses, the way that fellowship reflects into our lives, manifests itself in our lives, is uh, another term that John uses here. He says it shines the light on us uh, so that we may walk in the light. Shines the light into into the dark places of our lives, onto our sinfulness, onto the ways that we've gotten it wrong. Not in order to condemn us, but in order that we might have new life that makes us a part of that fellowship. Start with verse 5 here. You might want to go back and look. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Notice those connections back to 1 John. The light has triumphed. The light has shined into the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome. Hasn't overcome it. 
The light is identified with Jesus himself. John is very specific about that. And and the gospel of John, he says it as well. Jesus himself will say there in John 18, 12, I am the light of the world. Now notice, we ourselves are not the light. Sometimes we think that we're the light. Jesus is the light. To the degree that we're the light, we are the light because of what Jesus is doing through us. Sometimes we as Christians start to think that we are Jesus, that we're right, which is the very opposite of what John is saying here. Because what John is saying is that the way that we come into the light is to go through that painful process of recognizing uh, that we're wrong. Now, some of you might be thinking, didn't Jesus say, uh, I am the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Yes, yes, he did. Uh, but I'm afraid what often we have done is that we have rushed to that city on a hill. Uh, we have assumed that we are the light. We've got it right. We're the good Christian people in our community and our country. And, uh, and people should pay attention to us and listen to us. And we should, we should have influence And uh, we have forgotten what it takes to actually become the light that Jesus has called us to be. And that's the process of doing this terrible, awful, no good thing that no one likes to do, which is to confess, to admit that we're wrong. I don't like to do that. Any volunteers to just admit that you're wrong? Didn't think so. Nobody likes to admit uh, that he or she is wrong. I was in high school. I was on the high school debate team in Clinton. Uh, and high school debate, I think, is supposed to teach you that you can look at an argument from multiple perspectives and appreciate uh, the you know, intellectual process and evaluate truth in many different ways and all, all this sort of thing. Uh, and maybe I learned that lesson in the long run uh, to see things from different perspectives. But at least in the short run, what I learned was that I was always right. Uh, because you had to prepare to argue the pro and the con, the affirmative and the negative. And you would go back and forth on a debate round on a Friday night. This is how the cool, this is how the cool kids spend their Friday nights. Uh, and so I would, for one 30-minute period, argue the affirmative. And then take a little break. And then another 30-minute period, argue the negative. And I was 100% convinced in each of those uh, sessions that I was right. I was right. I love to be right. Who doesn't love to be right? It's a good thing I became a preacher. I get to uh, proclaim truth and say that I'm right at least one time a week, and people have to listen to me. Um, so uh, we love to be right. We love to be right. Preachers are real. Preachers are real bad about that, as a matter of fact. But what John is telling us is that we actually have to be confronted with the fact that we're not right. That we have to be confronted with our wrongness. We have to own and acknowledge that we don't get everything right. And of course what happens for so many of us when we are confronted with the reality that we have gotten it wrong is that we either deny it or we try to cover it up. To deny it is sort of like, I'm stealing this analogy by the way from uh, Catherine Schultz who has this great talk called On Being Wrong. Um, Uh, She points out that uh, when we are wrong, very often we're like a wily coyote in our denial, okay? You remember how uh, in the old Roadrunner cartoons, the coyote would be chasing the Roadrunner, the the Roadrunner would run off the cliff and just keep on trucking, I guess, because I don't know if Roadrunners can really fly or not, but the Roadrunner never seemed to have any trouble off the cliff. The coyote would chase him and would keep, inevitably at some point in the cartoon would keep on running 
and would be running on the air and then would look around, realize that he's in the middle of the air and he was in denial up until then, but then he realizes it and the fall comes. And of course, the fall is going to come. And so often we just want to deny, like the coyote running on the air, the fact that we have gone awry. That's one way to approach it. The other way to approach it that we so often take is to uh, cover it up, uh, to cover it up. I hesitate to tell this story because it's embarrassing, but in the uh, spirit of the message, here we go. When I was in maybe eighth grade, ninth grade, uh, my brother and I got in a discussion about the procedures to jumpstart a car. Um, and, uh, and I said, of course, uh, that what you do is you connect the black to the red and the red to the black and you know, crank it up and there you go. Uh, my brother, who's two years younger than me, said, no, what, no what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Red to red, black to black, there you go. And I said, no, 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 no. So we got in a debate about how you jumpstart a car. About midway through this conversation, I realized that he was right <laughs> and that I was wrong. I was wrong, but you can't admit that to your little brother. Never going to admit that. So I started to kind of twist the conversation a little bit and suddenly say, oh, no, I just, we, you misunderstood me. Well, I'm saying the exact same thing that you're saying, of course, trying to cover up the fact that I had, you know, embarrassed myself. Now, mind you, I am good at jumpstarting a car now as one who has been wrong many times and uh, used to leave his lights on in his car and before modern technology would take care of that for you, uh, I've had to jumpstart a car many times, so I, I'm good to go now. But I didn't want to admit it that day. But our growth, our, our maturity as Christians, our ability to walk in the light as Jesus has called us to, depends upon our ability to acknowledge the fact that we're wrong, to confess to say that we've been in darkness and we need the light to shine on us. John puts it this way. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To be a Christian means that you've got to confess. You've got to acknowledge that you're wrong. Now, it's hard enough to do that on factual matters like uh, whether or not you can uh, walk over a cliff or how to jumpstart a car, it's all the more difficult to do that when it concerns our moral lives and the way that we live. It's hard for us to confess. What a lot of times what we as Christians do is we'll say, well, you, we give lip service to it. Well, you know, everyone's a sinner. I'm a sinner. Or we might say, uh, well, you know, nobody's perfect. Just, you know, nobody's perfect. Or we make up excuses and we'll say, well, you know, I was having a hard day and that's why, you know, I honked at that guy unnecessarily in traffic or whatever. And we, uh, we come up with all sorts of lip service to pay to the fact that we are uh, wrong in our lives and we don't want to own it. But to be walking in the light, to live as Christ has called us to live, we actually have to examine ourselves and know where we've gone wrong to acknowledge where we have uh, sinned. John tells us that we have to do that if we want to say that we're walking in the light. To walk in the light isn't to have everything perfect, but it is to be willing to confess where we have gotten it wrong. 
You might notice uh, that virtually every Sunday, either in the pastoral prayer or sometimes we will do this separately uh, in our prayers anticipating uh, ahead of communion, we confess our sins and or I call us to confess our sins. The reason that we do that isn't just to pay lip service to it. It's so that as we pray that we might make connections into our own life uh, about those things that we have done and shouldn't have done or that we have left undone and should have done. And my hope is that as we pray that, and then as you pray through the week, you would make connections. You would realize, this is where I've messed up in my life, and I need to confess it to God, and perhaps I need, depending on what it is, I might need to confess it to other people as well. That we would actually own what those things are. You may have noticed as well that from time to time when we do communion, we don't do this every Sunday, but we did it on Monday, Thursday, for example. Uh, when we prepare to take communion, we do this thing called the passing of the peace. And we'll go to one another and say, the peace of Christ be with you. Um, the reason we do that isn't to be friendly and shake hands with everybody. I mean, it's good to be friendly and shake hands with everybody, but pretty much all of y'all know each other already. We don't really need to do that. The point of passing the peace in that way is to give a physical representation to the reconciliation that happens when we confess our sins and then go to Christ's table. And ideally, people who have had actual fights with each other and disagreements with each other and who have sinned against each other will, uh, maybe even that morning before we do communion, will go to the table together and before, before they go, say, the peace of Christ be with you, to actually reconcile with each other. It's not just a nice thing we do. It's supposed to focus us on what it means to confess. Um, Y'all who are around for some of the Bible studies uh, through the the Lent season probably heard me say that I encourage dissent when we we do Bible studies. I like it when people disagree, and I I do. Uh, Some people say, you really don't. No, I do. I really do like that Uh, because... Not only does it help us learn, but it helps us practice what it means to be Christian, uh, to recognize that we might not have it all right, uh, that we can see things differently and perhaps need to reconcile. It's It's a practical thing to train us for life as Christians. Uh, another way that this connects for me, at least, when I was in uh, early training in the Air Force, I, I did some training in a Cessna, learned to, learn to fly around the Golden Triangle Regional Airport, and no longer sustain you in flight, and you begin to fall. And then you learn to give it all the throttle, to push it over, and to fly right again. You have to learn how to fail in order to get yourself right, in order to be safe. Uh, In order to fly like you should, you have to learn what that experience of falling is like. The Christian life is somewhat like that. Uh, Not that we would fix our own lives by giving it throttle and pushing pushing it over and, and flying right again by our own might, but that when we fall, we would Uh, experience the grace of Christ to put us in right relationship with him and with each other again. To live as a Christian, we have to learn to confess. We have to learn to acknowledge where we're wrong. And that's hard for us to do, especially in this culture, uh, because a lot of times we feel as, as Christians like we are on the defensive. 
That we have to defend what we believe against uh, those who don't believe it. Or that we have to defend our morality against those who uh, don't follow the same morality. And it's absolutely important, I think, that we preach the truth and that we teach people to live in a right way. Uh, But we're not credible when we do that unless we can acknowledge that we ourselves have gotten it wrong. And unless we're, the, as a people, are the first to say, I'm sorry, the first to confess, the first to recognize that we're wrong, no one will believe us when we say that we have access to a truth that comes from outside us. The theologian uh, Stanley Hauerwas puts it like this, one of the things that makes the church the church and the way the world cannot be is that we are given the grace to confess our sins. To be Jesus' people means that we are the people who uh, know that by ourselves we don't have it all right. That it's only from Christ's light shining into our lives that we might walk. Notice it's the light shining from outside us that enables us to go down the path. We don't have it on our own. It comes from outside us. Where does that walk take us? Where does walking in the light take us? Uh, John says this, starting with verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. For the whole world. For the whole world. One of our focus, uh, foci... Uh, here in the east during the Easter season will be what it means for us to live in response to Jesus' resurrection, to live in hope, to walk in light in our community. Uh, and so we're going to kick off uh, uh, 40 days of prayer for Tremont. I'm cheating a little bit uh, because we're going to start on day like negative three. This actually starts on Wednesday. But I'm going to pass out these cards and I'm going to have something like this every week. And we're going to have a different prayer focus for something in our community um, through, through the weeks of this Easter season. This is to start us off this week. So I'm going to, after the service, I'll come and pass these around so everyone uh, has one. But this, this week we're asking God to show us the people and places in our community that are in need, that we haven't seen before. And to open up our hearts, it's a process of confession uh, open up our hearts and minds and abilities to go into those places and love our neighbors, uh, to draw them into the fellowship that Jesus talks about, as those who have been touched by those, uh, by, been touched by Christ, um, either directly or through those who have taught us about Him, to go and take that to others. So I'll ask you sometime each day this week to be in prayer, and we're going to keep doing that all the way up until Pentecost, and then we'll cap it off. Uh, I hope with a, an event where we will we will make that prayer for our community very visible to them. To walk in light, not because of what we've done for ourselves, but because of what Christ has done for us. That is our call in the Easter season. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. God, guide us on the path of discipleship so that as you have blessed us, we may be a blessing for others bringing the promise of your kingdom near and your light into the world by our words and deeds. Lord, all this we ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.